Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Today is the day. This is Mornings with Carmen. I am your host, Carmen LaBerge. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is Tuesday, the 27th of August, 2019. Um, So the headline that probably, gosh, I just found most heartbreaking and troubling this morning. Three more children have been killed within uh, eight hours in St. Louis. I don't know if this is a story that you're following, but... um, Wow. Tremendously um, disturbing news out of St. Louis over the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, We're talking about kids ranging in age from like eight up to 17. There is now uh, the city leaders have now announced rewards for tips, but no tips are coming in. Um, The first child that was killed over this past weekend is Journey Thompson, eight years old, shot outside a restaurant while simply waiting for a food order with family members. Um, the, you know, we're talking about kids who, you know, they just went to their first day of, of second grade or fourth grade. Nyla Banks, 10, um, was walking, uh, just 10 days after walking into her first day of fourth grade, um, uh, was, you know, shot dead. I, I just, um, I don't know if you're paying attention to this story, but it is disturbing and troubling. And when we reach the stage of life in a culture where we have so devalued the life of the child, which you probably know instinctively where that comment is is going in terms of the way we have devalued children in terms of abortion, um, it's not really that far of a step to the place where we see them as um, troublesome or a nuisance or a, a burden. And so, as Christians, uh, I want to I, I want us to be. Um, heartbroken over this. And then I want us to be mobilized. Like I want us to regain a biblical sense of what the child is and who the child is. Um, Children are a heritage from the Lord. I mean, that's Psalm 127 verse three. And when we begin to see children as something burdensome or nuisance, I don't know, nuisance, some, that's not a word, uh, to begin to see them as a nuisance or, or, you know, or troublesome, so I want you to ask yourself, how do I view children and how do I view specific children and how do I view um, the gift of a child? And what would I do? Um, what would I sacrifice? What would I set aside? What would I forego in order to um, bless a child, any child? Um, children are a heritage of the Lord. Children are a gift. They are a blessing. And I'm concerned that not just, uh, you know, we in the culture writ large here in in North America, but we specifically as Christians um, have lost sight of the value of children. So so how, you know, how do we view them? How do you value them? Are they simply like commodities in a culture of convenience? Um, or are they a sacred trust from God, blessings from the Lord, uh, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who just happen to be slightly younger than we are? 
So, I, uh, you know, as you read the headlines of the day, as you consider those kids standing at those bus stops this morning, as you um, are inconvenienced by having to slow down to, you know, 10 or 15 miles per hour in a school zone, um, consider the value of the life of a child. And later in today's uh, conversations here, we're going to actually talk to um, Ann Beeler. And you may recognize her name or you may not, but but chances are you recognize her product, Auntie Ann's Pretzels. Um, Ann Beeler has a has a life story about the value of a child, and um, it's a kind of going to be a conversation not to miss. So that's coming up later in the hour. I want to give you uh, a quick 30-second update on the fires burning in the Amazon rainforest. Brazil has rejected a G7 pledge of $20 million in aid. Why? Why? Because they regard that offer as equivalent to colonialism. And so the questions and conversations that we are having today um, are complicated. They are complex. But Christians absolutely need to be able to bring the mind of Christ to bear. Hey, next up, we're going to talk about to, to Tommy Binion um, about the rising deficit here in the United States. It's going to uh, probably hit a trillion dollars in 2019. And that should matter to us. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Capitol. So returning, uh, we've we've missed talking with him the last couple of weeks. Tommy Binion from the Daily Signal. Uh, Hey, welcome back, man. Good morning. Thank you for having me back. It's great to hear your voice and be back on the show. Yeah, sometimes our connection is, uh, you know, fails us, but today it is strong. So we're 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 super glad to have you back. Um, okay, so debt and deficit. First of all, we have you have to help us understand the difference. Um, a trillion dollar deficit sounds desperately bad, um, but then I'm also fascinated, like globally, of the like the reemergence of bartering. I'm like fascinated by this headline that Malaysia wants to um, trade palm oil for military goods. So, like, I, I feel like we have this, like, cryptocurrency culture. We got people that want to return to bartering. And here in the United States, we are um, – we're just printing money. Yeah, well, that's that's right. The global financial system is extremely complicated. It, 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 it ranges from something as simple as bartering to something as complicated as cryptocurrency. And when you add national debt – and annual deficit and uh, trade imbalances and trade deficits into the mix. It, it just gets really complicated. And then I think what pundits tend to do is throw a bunch of numbers at us mm-hmm. uh, that are so large, our eyes glaze over, we can't really fathom it, and we just file it away in the back of our mind. Okay, yeah, we spend too much as a government. But we spent too much last year. Nothing bad happened. So, you know, let me try to make it to soccer practice on time. Um, it is, you know, that's sort of the cycle we are stuck in as a nation is uh, we we acknowledge in the back of our mind that we have a problem. But none of us can really put a fine point on exactly why it is a problem and when it's going to become a problem and what bad thing is going to come from it. So that's that's what I'm going to try to do here just now. The, the last financial crisis, if you think about that, that was caused by the housing market. It's possible that the next financial crisis could be caused by this federal spending problem, by our addiction to overspending on the federal level. That's how bad it is. We could have a recession that's linked directly to federal spending. 
that's where we are today. Okay, so when we talk about recession, okay, so because I think that we we use these words, we think we know what they mean, um, and maybe we're not exactly sure. I mean, I think of a recession as a slowdown in the economy that um, that ultimately impacts my day to day life because prices rise, but my income does not. So the value of the money that I have gets you know less effective. And I can't make more because the economy itself has slowed down. Is that, do I mean, am I completely, have I made up my own definition of recession? No, I mean, that's, that's reasonable, right? So if the economy stops growing, but inflation keeps going, then the value of your money goes down. Your purchasing power goes down. Your, you know, your wages stay stagnant, but the things you buy every day get more expensive. Uh, that's definitely one way to look at it, but there are more acute effects to a recession, right? Uh, in the scenario you laid out, you get to keep your job, but not everybody will. Mm. You know, if the economy stops growing, we'll have unemployment starts going up, um, we, and 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 all of the problems that come with that. Um, and and the economy is a it's it's not a house of cards, but it's it it, it is a web where everything is connected to to one thing or the other. It, you know, um, consumer goods are dependent on the strengths of the labor market because people don't buy things unless they have jobs. And so everything is dependent on another thing. And so once you take out one of those pillars, one of those load-bearing structures in the economy, the whole thing weakens. And so that's why, you know, when, when you follow economic news, it, it tends to either all be going good or, or all be going bad is because everything is dependent on it. And then when something bad happens, when we have a recession, we look for a cause. And in, and in the 2000s, the cause of that recession, uh, as we all sort of know colloquially, was trouble in the housing market, and then there were ripple effects. And what I'm suggesting is um, federal spending is that kind of a pillar. It's that kind of a load-bearing structure. If, uh, if um, debt outpaces the economy – if the interest on the debt grows so big that it's crowding out other federal spending, if federal bonds become less valuable because so many of them are on the market, then we've got a real economic crisis on our hands. That is what we are risking every year that we run this kind of deficit. Uh, by the way, you asked me to distinguish between debt and deficit. Debt is how much uh, debt we have accrued over time as a nation, and that number is $22.3 trillion. That's how much the economy owes, and then interest is added to that every year. Deficit is how much more we're going to spend this year than we take in this year. In other words, how much money are we going to add to the debt this year? And as you pointed out, that number is almost a trillion dollars, and it is projected to be a trillion dollars each year into the future on up to 2029. It's a very scary picture. Um, okay, so we're gonna um, we're gonna paint a rosier picture maybe when Tommy Binion and I come back, but I'm not promising that. <clears throat> but come back, <laughs> we got to take a quick break. You're listening to Mornings with Garmin. All right, continuing my conversation with Tommy Binion uh, of the Daily Signal, which is also a part of Heritage. Um, we are talking about. I think we're just going to talk about financial things today. So let's pivot toward China 
I don't know. That's our Asian pivot this morning. We're going to pivot toward China um, and we're going to talk about uh, the president ordering American businesses to find an alternative to China. Um, something I don't think he can do. And then let's also talk about what's just happened, you know, in the last couple of days with what looks like sort of a brightening edge uh, in conversations with China about uh, trade. So bring us up to speed. Yeah, well, we're familiar with this with this cycle, aren't we, at this point? Um, We have an escalating trade war. Um, President Trump will take an action the Chinese will respond with an action, and then we will, you know, there will be bad news out of the market. Everybody will panic that this trade war with China is going to continue to escalate, and then there will be news that both parties are coming back to the table to negotiate a deal, and then that will fall down, and 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 the cycle will restart it. Uh, and that's that's basically where we are this morning. Um, last week, the Chinese announced a 25% tariff on American automobiles. And then um, uh, five and 10 percent tariffs on about 75 billion dollars in additional goods going over to China from the United States. Of course, uh, that follows an announcement two or three weeks ago by President Trump that we would be increasing tariffs on goods coming from China to the United States. Now, what is the point of all of this? Why are both sides doing these tariffs? They are in the middle. We are in the middle of a negotiation with China to try and get a trade deal to try and establish um, a a rubric for how trade between the two countries is going to go. What will the rules be? Um, That is an ongoing negotiation. President Trump ran for office uh, on the platform that the rules between China and the United States were completely unfair, and they were advantaging the Chinese. And that was a message that resonated with the American people. So here he is trying to make good on that promise. But um, these tariffs that are being enacted on both sides, they hurt they, – we are paying a price for them. Um, we are, he is trying to flex United States economic muscles and get the Chinese to the table and put himself in a strong leverage position. But it's, it's tough on the American economy that the farmers listening to this show know that all too well. Um, that the trade war, that if, if they don't have access to the Chinese market for their goods, They've got a real problem, and the price of their product is going to go through the floor. So in the meantime, until we get a deal, this trade war is really hurting the economy. And so the big question is, are we going to get a deal before the election? Or because the election is so close, is that giving the Chinese incentive uh, to hold out and not make a deal before the election? It, it, it concerns me that our market seems so news-dependent. And news responsive. Um, And I think, you know, I guess I'm one of those people that wishes that um, that our financial markets, which get reported on, you know, at literally every 15 minutes in the news cycle everywhere. um, uh, You know, I I guess I wish we either I don't know, talking about it less probably doesn't help. But um, I guess I wish we just recognized that there is a strength to who we are as Americans in terms of our own ability to generate um, new ideas and new products and um, and and then also to develop a an internal strength of our own market economy. But I think that what we are absolutely recognizing is we are so interdependent globally now, it's really hard to have a conversation 
in fact, impossible probably, to have a conversation about the U.S. economy without having a conversation about China, without having a conversation about um, the, the European Union, without having a conversation about Mexico and Canada. Uh, that's absolutely right. That, that is the nature of our economy. Uh, the world got so much closer together in the 20th century, and uh, trade between nations became um, a, as relevant a factor in our national economy as trade within our own nation, right? As 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 uh, consumer spending within our own nation is how 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 expensive are the products we're bringing in? How expensive are the raw materials we're bringing in? How expensive are um, the finished products that we're bringing in, and then how much are customers in other countries willing to pay for our goods? Um, many people, you know, they're, they're they're producing in this country, and uh, the majority of their customers are in another country, and so you know their personal economy is very much dependent on foreign trade, and and that's a huge piece of the pie. Um, and and by the way, this is why the president's message about the imbalance of trade with the Chinese was, was so strong is because everybody understands this, and, and many of us feel this in our own personal lives. And so when he started talking about how trade practices with China were unfair, when he started talking about how we were losing in that, it really, really resonated. Um, and so that's why I think he is so bold in being able um, to enact these tariffs and take these – what I think are, are really bold and extreme measures in trying to increase his leverage in the trade deal with China. Um, but it's got to work, right? Because there we're experiencing real pain, real economic pain as a result of these. If you are a, a, a farmer and you've got a crop of soybeans and you can't sell it in China, you're experiencing real pain. And so there's got to be a payoff for that. We have got to get a deal with China um, and we don't have one yet. And it's not 100 percent clear we're going to get one before the election. And so uh, that's a you know, we're playing high stakes poker right now. We'll see. We'll see who wins. Yeah. And the you know, I think the interdependence of the ag sector is something that people don't think much about either. Um, if I'm raising, uh, you know, if I'm raising cattle or I'm raising hogs, um, I'm I am dependent upon those who are growing soybeans and corn. But those who are growing soybeans and corn are, are also dependent on me as a as a rancher, um, you know, or a pork producer to buy what they're growing this year. And if I'm, I, I mean, if I can't sell, you know, if I can't sell the heads that uh, that I've been selling, then I'm just simply not going to breed as many. But then I'm also because I might be able to wait it out a year. But that puts my neighbor who's growing corn or soybeans in 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 real dire straits because there's no market for what they're growing either. So the the interdependence of the ag sector. Um, I think most Americans do not think much about. Um, we don't think a lot about farm families and uh, how integral they are to uh, literally our everyday lives. So uh, if you're if you eat today, thank a farmer. Let's just have that be our little. Uh, well, that'll be our walk off. Tommy, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, have a great show. Bye bye. Thanks. All right, I uh, I ate today, so I'm thanking a farmer. Um, if you're eating today, thank a farmer. If you're fasting today, fast on behalf of the ag sector, maybe. That might be a way to think about it. All right. Hey, we got to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. What is your story? What is your story? When we sing, I love to tell the story. What's the story you love to tell? Um, when we – I'm thinking back here. We talked recently with Don Everett about spiritual conversations and about – uh, being reluctant witnesses and how we sort of develop the 
the strength of our own communication skills, um, part of that is telling the story, learning to love to tell the story of our own encounters with God, um, the ways in which our faith story um, has been lived out over time, the, the peaks and the valleys. So if you and I are honest and we're real about the things that we have experienced and the encounters that we have had with God and how uh, he has walked with us and talked with us along life's very complicated way, then others are drawn into the story. And so if you've never thought of yourself as a person who has a story to tell, you have a story to tell. If you are in an active relationship with God through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have a story to tell. You're a redeemed sinner. You've got a story to tell. You're heaven bound. Uh, you've got a story to tell. You are walking by faith today, step by step with the Spirit. You've got a story to tell because that is really different than what people in the culture are doing. They have no idea what it, it, what it is to walk or talk with the Lord. They don't, they don't have any idea. They don't even know what the Bible is. They make assumptions about it. They've heard some things about it, but they don't they don't know that it's this is this living, breathing reality for those of us um, who are saturating our lives in it every day in order that we might better understand and glorify God. Like they don't get that that's what that's about or why we go to church or any of that. Why we sing, why we listen to Christian radio. OK, so you have a story to tell. I want you to remember that. Um, as you are out there in the world today as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven, you have a story to tell. The question is, do you love to tell the story? And are you opening your mouth to share that good news of the gospel um, with others? So, um, all right. So one person who we love to talk with about things that are going on at the intersection of raising kids and real life is Dr. Rosemary Stein. So she's up next. We're going to talk about the first death associated with vaping. We've talked about the risks of vaping. We now have uh, a death um, of a of a young person tied to vaping. Um, we're also going to talk about this new app called Kerbo, um, which is designed for kids. I'm going to talk about how you feel about that, how you feel about an app that's designed uh, just for kids uh, around the subject of weight loss. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, welcome back. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I am now here with, uh, oh, I'm not here yet, am I? I'm no, I guess, Paul. I'm so sorry, man. Yes. Sometimes I get ahead of myself, so I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm so sorry. Okay, so um, we have this thing coming up called Paul Share, and it is our opportunity to share with you the good news of what God is doing in and through this ministry for you to share with us how Faith Radio has impacted your life for good and for God's glory. Um, and it's also the the opportunity that we take in um, in the fall to spend a few days inviting you to become financial partners in this ministry. And so Fall Share is coming up. It's just a couple of weeks away. Um, you could actually go and start sharing today at MyFaithRadio.com. There's a donate button. You could call us and share your story, share your uh, Faith Radio Impact story for our Fall Share so that we can share your story with others. That number is 877-933-2484. You can always email us that same information. I'm Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. So share your stories with us so we can share them with others during our fall share. Coming up in a couple of weeks. We'll be right back. If you're like me, your secret hope may be to win the lottery. And maybe you even have a plan for how you're going to spend your millions. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. We all know that winning the lottery is a long shot. 
But do you get stuck in the trap of thinking that if you just had a little bit more money, life would be perfect? If you do, you're not alone. Most people feel that way. And it's not all bad. You may want to give your children exciting experiences. Or maybe you want to get an advanced degree to help further your career. You may just want less worry every month. The trouble with wanting more money starts when you don't feel content with what you have. And you want more. But when you get it, it's still not enough. Then it becomes a vicious cycle. So forget about winning the lottery and always wanting more. And strive to be content with what you have. I'm Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. For a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. The so joining me now, Dr. Rosemary Stein. Uh, she joins us and we talk about all kinds of things at the intersection of kids and health and families and medicine. So, Dr. Rose, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be here this morning. Well, it's wonderful to have you. Um, I tried to introduce you a couple of minutes ago, but I was supposed to be doing something else. So I'm so glad that you're here with us. Let's talk about this really disturbing news out of Illinois um, I haven't uh, I haven't shared much about this headline with our listeners, so I'll let you I'll let you tell them um, about this first death, maybe associated with vaping in Illinois. Well, and it's the first direct death. There's nothing mm. there's nothing else to uh, really pinpoint uh, or or even signal even a little bit that could have been ca- causing this young uh, man's death. Uh, but the disturbing thing is that once this one was reported, then a whole crop of other deaths and serious illnesses came came up. And to tell you the truth, Carmen, I'm really not surprised. I I I, I sort of knew it all along that uh, most likely there were unfortunate deaths, uh, and that kids were very sick because I've had quite a number of near death experiences. Uh, from vaping and, and doing vaping together with other things uh, that uh, that had really disturbed me. Uh, so anyway, so what's going on is is that we really don't know the substances that are uh, that, that are being used when kids vape or when young adults vape, uh, and sometimes we don't really know the circumstances that they're made in. So that it may it may just be that there are bacteria, uh, they're floating around, certain viruses, even fungi. Uh, so these kids are falling sick, and they go into respiratory failure. So they they're using huge amounts of oxygen. They can't breathe. It's like it, it's like breathing, but nothing goes in, uh, or their their lungs become so congested that they they can't move air, and within a short amount of time, they're dead. Uh, the, the important, I think, the most important lesson out of this is we we thought that we had been really smart and had tricked nature, came up with something uh, that uh, that that would uh, bypass smoking cigarettes. And what we did really within less, like if you think about a decade, is we've sickened our our especially our young people, and because it's so addictive, they they can't seem to really figure out how to stop. And we don't have the resources to help them. It's it's tragic. So I think it's important to, I know that you and I have talked about it before, but I think that for those people who might be listening for the first time today or haven't had or haven't heard the conversations that you and I have had, 
remind us what vaping is and wh- why it is why it's caustic for me to um, inhale something into my lungs that's not supposed to be there. Like what happened? What's happening in there when a person is vaping? Well, the difference from doing something like that versus even smoking, because uh, smoking has other other particles, so it doesn't go as directly into the the um, in, into your system, uh, or drinking it, which it has to go into the digestive tract and then go into your system. Uh, it's more uh, sort of similar to injecting it, actually, because it goes directly into your system, because it goes through your lungs and then goes straight to your brain. Uh, and, and the rest of your body, uh, but the problem is with with this that it's not being uh, looked at by the FDA. So it's it's legal, so kids kids can get it, um, but it's it's not it's bypassing the FDA. Uh, so, so we don't really know. Sometimes you you might be uh, getting like a mixture that's minty, but what's together with the mint? We don't know. Where was it made? We we don't know. So it's that it because of that it's incredibly dangerous. It's something that can get directly into your brain. We don't know where it's made. We don't know the true components. They'll tell you, uh, and it may may even the, the little vials might have a a, a a tag on it. But we we don't know what it might have been laced with uh, because it doesn't have to meet those standards. And that makes it incredibly dangerous for our young people to do so. And on top of that, they think because it's the hype of it's not cigarettes, they think it's safe. And it's very difficult to convince young folks that vaping is not safe. Kids are walking around and they're high from vaping a lot. Mm, okay, so um, meanwhile, uh, pot is also getting stronger, and it is uh, poisoning our kids as well. Can we cover that before the break? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and the, the problem is that they're vaping THC now. So they've figured out how uh, to liquefy the THC and vape it, and it's more potent. And so all of the properties that used to be there, and we, you know, we were, um, we were exposed to kids who would do marijuana, and you know, it, it obviously consumed people's brains and and made them have less motivation. Now we have it, and it's seventeen to fifty times stronger. And so you're exposing a kid's brain to something that will never leave him or her the same again. Okay, so uh, don't do drugs. That's going to be Dr. Rose's and I's like lead off this morning. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some drugs that are prescribed to kids, but then kids don't get the the follow up that they need. And there we're talking about ADHD and we're talking about um, prescription medication related to it. So that conversation is up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I'm talking with Dr. Rosemary Stein. You can find her on Facebook at Rosemary Stein MD. Dr. Rose, remind us what what is ADHD? What are ADHD medications? And then like how are they prescribed? And then how frequently is a child supposed to be like reevaluated for those prescriptions? Well, great, great questions because so many of our children are uh, diagnosed with ADHD. 
Uh, and actually, in, in America, depending on each state, uh, we have between 10 and 14 percent of our children that are diagnosed uh, with ADHD and possibly on medication for ADHD from time to time. And so what ADHD is, is a sort of a hyperactivity where the brain doesn't really rest on one thing. It's doing three or four things at the same time. So these in what I've evaluated are our very creative, uh, very uh, right brain sort of kids. They're, they, they can't rest. They have a restlessness, a creativity, an extra, almost nervous energy about them. So the, the point is to sort of calm them down in the classroom so they're not as much of a disturbance. But by doing them, you take away some of that creativity and some uh, of that extra gift that they have because we merely don't, we don't have, we don't find that we have the time as parents and teachers to be able to cope with all of this extra nervous energy. And we see that that, that kid is being, in quotations, bad. But it's really not a disease process. It's a normal part of certain kids in everything that I've looked at over 25 years. But we're trying to medicate it so that they're not as inconvenient. And when we medicate them, not only do we take away some of their, their gifts uh, because it's more difficult to work on these things, but we're also leading down the path of needing to use medications and different drugs so that they can do something different to their brain. So we're leading. Okay, so to... I'm gonna I'm gonna push back just a little bit, yeah. and I'm gonna and I'm and I'm gonna say that um, uh, because I have some personal experience uh, with this, um, some kids are tremendously helped by having the chemical imbalance in their brain balanced with pharmaceutical, you know, help. And so um, I don't want to lead our listeners to believe that you and I imagine that um, drugs are never necessary? Uh, well, okay. So what I have seen is that it, it can be necessary so that they can, they can focus and get themselves out of that stigma, especially in that situation where they have been stigmatized because they can't, they, 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 they can't feel that they can connect. And in that case, and that it happens a lot of times by giving them a low dose of the stimulant. And remember, it's 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 methamphetamine. I think most of these these stimulants come from methamphetamine, which which can be good because they calm themselves down, but also can be harmful in the long run. So we really want to think about it. We don't want to jump to it. We really want to pray and to think about it with with the, the, your doctor that really cares about you. And come solemnly to the thought that okay, that let's we we've tried a lot of other things, and we're we're having problems at school, and we may be wasting the school year because he's having a great difficulty uh, being able to think and get ahead in school. It shouldn't be something that you just jump to. Uh, but right. in that case, then the. the Many of us as doctors are not following through the the specific um, steps or stages, which is I, the kid should have a thorough neurological uh, evaluation by the doctor, uh, checking the, the reflexes, making sure that the kid's healthy, and should have a CBC and should have their liver enzymes and, and other things checked because these medications can be harmful in the long run. They can cause uh, weight loss. They can cause uh, for the blood 
blood not to be normal. Uh, they can cause for certain the, the, the certain enzymes to be elevated and, and to be uh, to certain organs to be damaged. And so on a yearly basis, once they're on it, we should be checking it. And I've found that most of us sort of forget. We put the kids on it, and then we forget to check it up again because, you know, you lose track of it, and you just get into the habit of the, the kids are on it. Uh, so so it's a con- proper so- follow-up should be done. Right. And so here's what's confusing to me about the article that, um, you know, that's come out that's that's basically said. So these kids, most kids on Medicaid who are prescribed ADHD, you know, aren't getting proper follow up. Um, it's a controlled substance. And so you can only get a 30 day supply and you can only get that 30 day supply renewed after your last 30 day supply has completely run out. I mean, it's a highly controlled substance. It has to be re-prescribed every 30 days. So there, there's some doctors here who are re-prescribing medication without, I mean, it's, it's one thing to say parents need to pay attention to a calendar. That's absolutely true. Um, but, you know, I, I'm also like aware here that there's obviously doctors who are just re-prescribing things that they're not doing the follow-up care on. That, and, and, and that is true. And then also on the side of the pharmacies, they're, they're probably not following through with that. It has to be a hard prescription in your hand. I mean, at the, at the, at the practice, they have to come and pick it, pick it up. The, the, the copy of the prescription goes into the chart, uh, and the, the child has to come in every three months to see, to, to be evaluated neurologically to make sure that these things aren't happening. It's not a drug to be taken lightly uh, because of everything I talked about. And there should be an endpoint. You should be thinking, okay, so this worked and it helped and he's maturing. What things am I doing? Because it's not just the medication. I say the medication is about a 5% and what we're doing with the child to help him mature and be able to use this, this wonderful nervous energy that he or she has is 90 to 95%. And, and we should be sort of suffering with our kids as we're working to develop them to mature them, and to use all that creativity in a good way. And if we're not doing that, then all we're doing is medicating the problem and not helping to fix the problem. Okay, and where do we send parents to get the kind of equipping that you're talking about? Because you're talking, because <laughs> right, because you're talking about that is that is major full-time engagement with a child. So where do we, where are we sending parents for that kind of equipping? I, I don't know, apart from my clinic. Well, let me give you a quick statistic before we get off the line. In America, like I said, between 10 and 14% of our children have ADHD. In France, uh, just a few years ago, we, they had 0.5% ADHD. And the difference was before they put them on medications, they went through this process where we worked out the environment of the child, what was going on in the kids, uh, what, not we, but they uh, worked out a certain number of things and then reevaluated the child when he came back. And lo and behold, they went from having close to our ADHD percentage to having a 0.5%. And so, in other words, we're not engaging in all of the other things that can be done. Once again, it's not that the medication is never necessary. Yes, it is to be able to help the child to get over uh, or to to go through uh, this process of being able to use his brain in an optimal way. But on the other hand, I think we're overusing the medication, and the medication can lead to a lot of other things happening to the child. 0.5% 
versus 14, up to 14%. And I can tell you about Deshaun, who mom... Hey, hey, we don't have time. I love that. I love that. But we don't have time. I'm so sorry. No But we don't have time for a story today. Okay. Hey, thank you uh, so much, uh, Dr. Ruth. We have reached reached the end of our hour, but we will be right back. All right, friends. um, So we have had a, a full hour of conversation. I have encouraged you to consider how it is that you are going to tell the story today. So what's your story? Like, what's your story? Like, that's a good, that's just a good question to ask people out there in the world today. What's your story? And then be prepared for them to, uh, you know, after they've had an opportunity to sort of fill you in on who they are and what's going on in their world, uh, to be able to, uh, for you to be able to share your story. Like, what would, what would be the story that you would share today? Um, if you and I, as Christians, aren't cultivating the ability to tell our story as a part of the overarching redemptive uh, magnificent plan of God right then we got to figure out how to tell that story like that's part of being equipped as a Christian to engage in the conversations of the day we got to know we have a story we got to know where we fit in the story and we got to be able to tell it and so um you know there's the, the sort of you know at Christmas we sing go tell it on the mountain I want you to just go tell it everywhere today don't just tell it on the mountain. Go, go tell it in the, in the highways and byways and in the classrooms and in the boardroom. Tell your story because you are free to tell your story in the culture today. Um, and, and that's actually, you know, open and appreciated. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.